There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, and a very warm welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show here on Voice America. Now, I'm thinking that regular listeners to the show may be thinking to themselves, that doesn't sound like Chris. Uh, well, you'd be absolutely right. So let me introduce myself. It's John Jennings here. Uh, I am very lucky to count Chris as a friend as well as a business partner. And uh, I'm very honoured that Chris has asked me to host the show, sit in for him, um, and uh, to conduct this week's uh, interview with our, with our esteemed guest, Ron Lynch. Um, now, if you're wondering where Chris is, he is, in fact, in a remote 16th century castle up in the highlands of Scotland. What's he doing there, I hear you ask? Well, Chris is up there having a well-deserved holiday, his first break of the year, really, and he's celebrating a, a birthday of significance with his lovely wife, Ruth, and their two kids, Matthew and Daniel. So, Chris, if you're listening or uh, tuning in later, I hope you've had a great time, and thanks once again for the opportunity of, uh, of sitting in and hosting the show on your behalf. Um, before, we, uh, before we talk to Ron, just briefly, last week's show, uh, I hope some of you managed to, uh, to listen in or, or download a really interesting conversation that Chris had with a gentleman called Uri Adoni. Uh, and Uri uh, is based in Israel, and he is an author, amongst other things, uh, and has published a book called The Unstoppable Startup. Very interesting fact about Israel I learned from listening to the interview was that Israel is, in fact, um, right up there, almost alongside Silicon Valley for tech startup success. Uh, and that's quite interesting uh, to, to, to find out why there's such a hotbed of successful startups when so many fail out there in, in Israel. So the discussion with Chris, uh, in the discussion with Chris, Yuri talked about uh, what he calls the six secrets of, now I thought this word was pronounced chutzpah here in the UK, but in fact it's chutzpah, uh, and it's a Hebrew word. So if you want to know what the six secrets of chutzpah are, then you can listen at your convenience at chriscooper.co.uk and, uh, and, and feel free to download that. And if you've got any feedback, Chris and I love to hear from you. So it's uh, for, for regular listeners, you'll know it's chris at chriscooper.co.uk or john at chriscooper.co.uk for your feedback. So as far as this week's concerned, um, what we're going to be talking about, uh, our, our title for today is Better Leaders Make Better Businesses how to reach the top of your game and stay there. And I'm going to be talking to, uh, to Ron Lynch about how you can be the best leader you can be and then hopefully get better. And uh, we thought this would be interesting because in a world where the pace of change only gets quicker, there's some valuable lessons to be learned from, from past experiences. So what I think is going to come out of this interview with Ron is some of the lessons that he's learned from his vast experience of building and growing businesses, as well as helping others to do the same. So Ron's got a, a wealth of experience from over 40 years working across a really broad range of businesses and sectors. He's established his own successful marketing consultancy uh, and all the way through to senior roles in both the public and the private sector. 
as well as being a trustee for, for several charities. Uh, and here in the East Midlands area of the UK, where Ron's based, he's probably best known for his role as a regional director uh, for one of the UK's largest business groups, the Institute of Directors. Now, the, uh, we'll, we'll go on to talk a little bit about the IOD, but really the IOD, amongst other things, is committed to helping aspiring and established directors to be the best business leaders they can be. And Ron's passion for helping to deliver this vision, I know personally, is second to none. Uh, he's particularly focused on the aspiring directors of tomorrow, and his current role as the IOD's National University and Student Engagement Director is targeted with developing relationships across a broad spectrum of the UK's higher education establishments, uh, with, a, with a really keen focus on young aspiring entrepreneurs. So, um, Ron, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, John. Very pleased that you've invited me on and given me this opportunity to share the programme with you. Well, absolutely. The honour is, is all ours, uh, Ron, myself and Chris. Delighted that you've been able to join us. So, Ron, you and I have known each other for, for quite a while, but listeners, uh, we have a, a global audience uh, who listen into Chris's show and, and download it a little later sometimes. Um, so, tell us about your... I know you're from the northeast of the, uh, of the UK. Uh, tell us a little bit about your early years and how you started out on, uh, on such a varied and exciting career path. Yeah, happy to do that. I, I mean... I, I, I'd start with my father, my dad, who was a blue-collar worker. He was an electrician, uh, a skilled uh, craftsman in, in terms of that, but hadn't really had much of an education. People didn't have uh, sort of um, university-level educations in those days. Sure. And I also come from a big family. I have a brother and four sisters, uh, of which right. I'm the eldest. But I, from an, a, an early age, I was very interested in photography. And I suppose that was a creative trait that I've had all the way through. In fact, it was so strong to me that I had my own dark, round, uh, dark, dark room uh, and I was able to develop uh, negatives and photographs from a very young age. And I always wanted to be a photographer, but my dad said to me, son, you know, that's a hobby. That's not a career. Uh, when I look at the world-renowned photographers that are around now, I think that may have been uh, not the right sort of advice, but... I was good at maths, and so he said to me, along with my teachers at school, you need to be in a, a business that, uh, or an organisation that deals with numbers. You should be an accountant or work in a bank. And, and that's where I started. So I left school at the end of 12th grade and went straight into work, uh, trying to help support my family as best I could, uh, and I became a trainee accountant and right. um, didn't, didn't have the opportunity to go to university. Which, of course, the, lots and lots of kids, that's, a, that's been a big change. Because I think when I left uh, school, it was something like, and this is woo, 40 years ago plus, um, it was 2% of school leavers went to university. And that, that's something like 50% now, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I went straight into the world of work. And I, I've got to say, you know, for, for, for any parents that are listening, you've got to be aware that, there are, that there's more than one route in terms of a future career. You know, university is one route, but there is the vocational route. And I guess that's where I, I actually started off. So I went into a company that had 75 supermarkets, which proved to be a great learning ground. For anybody that hasn't worked in retail, you do come across most challenges in that particular sector. But uh, because this company had 75 supermarkets, it also had its own food processing department, transport and logistics department, a wholesaling department, as well as the 75 shops that it had. 
And um, I got exposed to all of those aspects of the business, even though my main focus had to be on accounting and finance. Uh, but at that time, and I am going back quite a while, they also had a, a, a computer, a Burroughs computer, which worked all week long and produced one report a week uh, and filled a room uh, and how things have changed since then. <laughs> yeah, indeed, Ron. And, and you made a really interesting point there when you said if for parents who are listening uh, for, for their kids, there's more than one route to, uh, to get yourself into business and, and be successful. And you didn't go to university back in the day. However, you then went on subsequently and, uh, and, and took a degree later on in your career. Can you tell us I a bit did. about that? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, if I just follow on my career path, I, I, because I was into finance, uh, and I'll come back to this later on maybe, uh, I, I got very interested in taxation. Uh, and how businesses should um, ad adapt to taxation in a number of circumstances. Value-added tax was introduced around the time I was starting off in, in accountancy, which was new for the UK. But um, because I want to specialise into tax, while I was part qualified as an accountant, I decided to apply to join the UK government taxation service. Uh, and I applied for that. And um, I think it's a bit like applying for the military uh, you might apply for special forces, but you end up being in uh, entertainment or logistics or something. So I actually got posted to the Department for Trade and Industry, which I was a bit upset about at the time. But again, opportunities come to you. And I think, you know, sometimes you don't have much control over it. That's been my experience. But if you adapt to the circumstances, then you can make a success of it. So I then was fast streamed as a management trainee through this government department. I had a series of rapid promotions and ended up in a quite a senior management position uh, whilst I was still in my uh, late 20s, mid to late 20s. So I had responsibility for quite a lot of resource, quite a lot of people and a large geographical area. I was also working very closely with government ministers at that time. And then I became responsible for some very big government schemes. At the time, we had uh, the Be Your Own Boss campaign in the UK, which was encouraging a lot of unemployed people to think about self-employment as a career. Right. I had to then introduce something called the, the Small Firms Information Service and then Small Firms Counselling Service, which was actually based on something that started off in the United States. It was uh, CORE, C-O-R-E, which was a, a core of retired executives. But they, of course, had lots of business experience that they could impart then to people that were on the first rung of the ladder in terms of starting a business. Right. So did that give you ideas for the future about how you might... Well, that, that, that's what then prompted me to take a degree because as I got right. more and more into this, I realised that you know entrepreneurship was the big thing at that time. And uh, whilst I'd had an uncle that had been in business, I hadn't had much direct involvement in, in leading a business or an organisation. But I, I did a master's degree in entrepreneurial studies. Right. And as part of that came across lots of eminent people uh, um, from the past. But one of those that had a big influence on me was Joseph Schumpeter, who was an economist, an Austrian economist, who talked about entrepreneurs as being different. They're very different. In fact, in English, we don't have a word for it, which is why we use a French word, entrepreneur, to describe them. But he was one of the first people that said, um, entrepreneurs are different and they are innovative. And it's that difference and that innovation which allows them to achieve what they do. Okay, so what sort of things do you remember from taking that, that particular qualification that helped you in your career? Well, first of all, it was hard work. 
and right. it taught me about managing my time because in those days it was distance learning, which sounds great, but every few weeks I would get a huge box delivered in the mail uh, full of um, tapes, audio and uh, video tapes, along with books and other learning materials. And then I had to plow through them and then be prepared to respond to requests for assignments, um, take exams and all of that. And because it was done in a sort of two and a half year period, rather than as it is in the UK at the moment, you can go to university and study a first degree over um, three years and then do a master's full time over one year. Mine was over two and a half years as a master's degree. But, but it was great because it gave me a real insight into entrepreneurship and what made entrepreneurs tick. And I suppose that's where I then had this burning desire at some point to go on and do my own thing. By this time, I'd moved out of the public sector. I'd actually got my first role as a director uh, in, a, in a small company. Um, and it was the, uh, the chief executive, the MD of that company, that uh, said he would support me to do this master's degree. So allowed me the time and paid, actually, for me to undertake that master's degree. Wow, that's, that's great. So winding into, into where we are currently, Ron, we, I mean, we, we are operating, living in unprecedented times. Yeah. Um, what, uh, as far as business is concerned, what do you think's kind of changed that, that may not revert to pre-pandemic times that, that business leaders are going to have to learn to adapt to? Well, if you look back over time, we've had recessions, we've had financial crashes, we've had all sorts of changes in the economy, both global and national and, and so on. What most of us have never experienced is a pandemic. What, sure. What's interesting about that is that um, while we were in lockdown in the UK, I did a bit of digging myself and I found that back in 2017, the UK government had actually done a risk assessment on a whole range of matters, but one of them was a global pandemic. And when you looked at what the likely impacts were in this document, which is freely available online, um, a lot of the things that were identified as challenges should a pandemic hit actually came to pass when COVID-19 reared its head. So, that, 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 that was interesting that the government had actually done that. So, so what has changed? As I said, we've had recessions, financial crashes and pandemics. Remote working. Did any of us do any remote working in the past? Um, I suppose the most I did was have a telephone call with somebody or maybe FaceTime. Um, so remote working has changed. Automation. I mean, just in the organisation I'm involved with now, the Institute of Directors, we've automated a lot of our processes uh, as a result of um, COVID-19 hitting. We ask ourselves the question, why didn't we do this sooner? Why didn't we do it uh, before the pandemic hit? And the answer is, well, it was always there, but it was in the sort of too difficult to tackle box uh, sure. or it was going to take up too much resource. So those have changed. Online collaboration, things that have changed, which will probably never come back, face-to-face -face meetings. Do you remember those? Where we I used do, to just. meet in large groups and, and connections with people. So what's really happened during this lockdown is online businesses have continued to prosper and uh, offline businesses have continued to struggle. I don't think that will change. I think lots of people have looked at that and they'll see the benefits of uh, that, that sort of online uh, trading capability. But I think the other thing that happens in every recession, from every recession that, that I've ever read about and all the financial 
crises we've been through, um, the thing that happens is there is a huge increase in the UK in the number of people who start businesses, which sure. is sort of counterintuitive, isn't it? You tend to think during difficult times, financial crash, for example, you couldn't get uh, money from a bank. And yet more people started during that time than they do during more normal times. So, and the same is true of the pandemic. I saw some figures for the UK relating to April and May and business starts were at a very, very high level, far higher than they had been earlier in the year or any time last year. Now, why, why does that happen? I, I think it's because there are opportunities. Whenever times are difficult, there are the people that say, it's too difficult to do, I'll step back from it. And that leaves gaps and opportunities for the more um, innovative and the agile uh, businesses to actually step in and do something. Sure. And that almost plays back into, into Chris's guest last week, uh, Yuri, talking about his uh, seizing the moment, I guess. And, and, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, from great adversity, then people's ingenuity tends to know no bounds, do you think? I, th I think, you know, people would probably refer to it as being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I think this is being in the right place at the wrong time because nobody really wants to go through these difficult situations that we're in now. But there are businesses that have done exceptionally well, particularly those in medicine, healthcare, PPE, uh, food, delivery, all those sorts of things have done remarkably well. And yet some of the big businesses we've tended to rely on in the past, transport infrastructure, bus companies, train companies, they're not doing so well. Yeah. Sure. Well, hold that thought long, because we're going to go to a, a commercial break in, in just a few moments. But what I'd like to talk about uh, after the break is taking on all those factors that you just mentioned about how uh, business, businesses can, can start up even during adversity. Um, I, want to, I want to tap into some of your experience for what would be the things that you would do if you were a director or a business leader now thinking of uh, either promoting their own business or starting a new one. So... Uh, Thanks very much for, for, for the input, Ron, and um, please join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. It's John Jennings here, sitting in on behalf of Chris. Uh, I'm delighted to be hosting the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show here on Voice America, whilst Chris is on a well-deserved holiday. And uh, I hope you've been enjoying a fascinating conversation that I've been having with my guest, Ron Lynch. Um, We've been talking about uh, better leaders make better businesses. uh, And certainly, Ron took us through a very interesting journey about how he started off in his career, some of the influences, uh, some of the of the things he did that would differ from today. And we, we finished off by talking about how even during these very, very strange and difficult times, that businesses, startups, uh, reach really levels that, that are unimaginable, given all the, uh, all the strictures around moving to people and goods and all the things that have been affected by the pandemic. So, so Ron, bearing, bearing all that in mind... Um, talk us through some of the uh, what you would regard from your vast experience in, in these sectors, some of the of the must dos for aspiring directors and business leaders. Yeah, uh, the, the the way I tend to look at this is that there are things that are specific to people who are starting or running businesses that I would call business skills and business activities, and then. I, I draw the distinction between that and the, the sort of legal responsibilities that you may have as a director or a business owner. So I, I'll try and cover both of those things in, in, in what I'm about to say. But um, okay. I, I think one, one of the key things to understand before you even get into business or you take on a senior leadership role is to understand the risks and the liabilities. I know it's a negative way to start, but if you're not aware of risks and liabilities, then you're likely to carry on doing things that may lead to problems further down the line. So as an example, when I've been asked to join a charity or another organization as a non-executive director, one of the first things I ask for is a copy of the risk register. And there's a reason I do that, because a risk register should be all-embracing in terms of providing an insight into the challenges that the organization has faced and overcome and what's still to be faced, but can also highlight opportunities which have a risky element to them. You know, for example, introducing a new product or a new service or entering a new market. So the risk register is a good place to start. And of course, in the UK, uh, as a director, whether you are registered as a director at Companies House or you have the title director or you function as a director or part of your role encompasses what could be uh, reasonably uh, seen as uh, a director level role, you can be held liable in the UK. Uh, so it's important to be aware of that. So having got the negatives out of the way, yeah. I think the other thing that, that I've always found useful and I found it in successful people that I've uh, talked to and met 
and followed um, is that there's a need to have a constant search for opportunities. And that could be looking at new markets that you hadn't considered before, new products, new services, new processes even. I mean, people don't often realize that you can be very innovative in terms of improving the processes in your own organization. That in itself can reduce cost and lead to increased profit. Um, the other thing I've, I've found important, and I've already explained my, my journey uh, in terms of learning is recognize that whatever you start new uh, by way of business or organization, you, you, you're on a learning journey. It's not just a case of running a business and being successful. You're likely to be learning as you go along that journey. And some of it will be learning on the job and there will be opportunities to learn away from the job. I think it's important that as, as a leader, you recognize that you're on a learning journey. And we talk about lifelong learning. It's a bit of a cliche, but you've got to recognize that most of us, when we start, we begin a learning journey as well as a business journey. And we've got to continue with that. There's never a point at which you've got all the skills and all the knowledge that you're ever likely to need. You're always learning. So that, that, that becomes very important. And understanding how you are different to a manager. You know, the, the, again, another old uh, adage is that you need to work on the business as much as you can rather than in the business. Uh, managers work in the business, but leaders and directors work on the business as much as they can. And then you've got responsibilities. You know, your first responsibility is for the success of the business and the organization. But you also have a responsibility for your employees, for customers, suppliers, the communities in which you operate, the environment, um, there's an absolute need for you to be uh, as honest as you can be and display real integrity in all you do. And I suppose that really leads me on to talk about the, the, the need for ethical business practice. So don't do to anybody what you wouldn't accept as things that they might do to you. Treat right. people as you would want to be treated. Sure. Now, you mentioned that something that, that, that we find, this, this conundrum of working on the business rather than in the business uh, that differentiates leaders from managers how would yep. it, how, how do hard-pressed business you know if when they when they are the owner of the business and the leader of that business uh, and it kind of if they don't work in the business then then you know they, they, they can see things that are going to go wrong how do they actually separate them out their time so they can take a step back and what advice would yep. you give leaders on, on it, that front it, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because, you know, we should really be focusing on the important and urgent things that need to be done. But uh, I, I read a book a, a quite a while ago. Somebody gave me it. Uh, I don't even know if it's still in print, but it was uh, called Parkinson's Law. And it was written by somebody called Cyril Northcote Parkinson. Right. And Parkinson's Law says the level of work expands to fill the time available for its completion. So, okay. so in other words, you know, if we've got plenty of time, the work will swell and we'll fill that time. You can't afford that when your time is at a premium. So you've got to manage that as effectively as you can. So you've got to be very selective, you know, use search or learning tools. I mean, I, I find a, a useful way to keep in touch and I don't have any shares in Google, but Google alerts, for example, uh, I've set up several alerts on that so that I get uh, information as and when it becomes clear. I think you've got to be clear about what you're interested in and what's important to your business and spend your time staying up to date uh, and current on, on those particular topics and subjects. I think it's important to use uh, your personal contacts. 
I know you and I have spoken about this in the past, but from the day you start in a career, a job or a business uh, or in a charity or any other uh, organization, you're making personal contacts. You sure. should utilize those contacts, learn from them, engage with them and um, allow them to do the same to you. So there's an awful lot you can learn from your peers as you progress on your journey in business or, or your career. Social networking makes a lot of that easier now. Uh, and I know there's a lot of misuse of social media and social networking, but it's there and it's going to be around for a long time. Find out what the benefits are to you of that and then adopt an appropriate plan uh, to, 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 to ensure that you get those benefits. And then I keep coming back to it, continuous training and development Never miss an opportunity to, to, to learn. It might be reading a book. It might be watching a TED talk. It might be meeting somebody. It might be listening to a talk from somebody uh, at, a, at a convention. There are all sorts of ways in which we can learn. And as leaders, we owe it to ourselves and to all those that we're responsible for that we keep at the uh, forefront of, 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 of those learning opportunities. Well, great advice, Ron. I think... Um, one uh, issue that comes up when certainly when I'm talking to, to business leaders is that they sometimes feel swamped with information because yeah. there is so much. If you, if you go back just 25 years, it wasn't quite such a problem because you had, you had books, the, the internet was in its infancy, uh, Google wasn't heard of. And so sometimes finding information was difficult. Now it's almost the opposite, isn't it? There is too much information out there. So apart from Google filters, what, what else do you do to make sure that you, you, you're going you're gonna to keep up to date with the things that really matter? I, I think you, you, you do have to be very selective because, as you say, um, there's a world of information out there. Sure. Uh, I, I find that you know subscribing to particular uh, publications, for example, is another way of doing it. But it all starts by you being selective and you know, spending a bit of time thinking about what's important, what sort of topics, what sort of subjects, and then ensuring that whatever you're looking at ticks the boxes against those subjects or topics. Because it's easy to stray off, isn't it? I mean, you can start reading one article or one piece of information on, say, Google or any other search engine. Before you know it, there's a link to something else, and you click on that link and you've gone down a bit of a rabbit warren if you're not careful. You've sure. got to ensure that you, you're remaining as focused as you can. Uh, time is, is really valuable and you can't afford to waste it. So, you know, that idea of Parkinson's law that I referred to earlier, I think becomes really important. If you're not careful, you'll fill the time with whatever presents itself. Whereas the reality as a leader is you've got to be uh, totally focused on, on what you're actually trying to achieve. Of course. Yeah. So, a lot of people listen to this. We, we, we always attract quite a big audience of, of business leaders from what we would call in the UK SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, say, I don't know, anything from, from startup all the way up to 100, 200 people uh, in the business. In, in the current climate, what, um, what would be your advice on what the priorities should be to, uh, to kind of survive and hopefully prosper? When I was a, um, a trainee accountant all those years ago, a very wise uh, company secretary or finance director said to me, always remember these things. And I've heard others repeat it. Revenue is vanity. Profit is sanity. And cash is reality. <laughs> what, so what, what, what most people don't realize is that without cash, you don't have a business. 
Sure. The, the history is littered with very successful businesses that had great products, great customer base and so on, but they basically ran out of cash. So, you know, undercapitalization is probably the single biggest cause of business failure. So as long as you can keep focused on the cash, that ensures that you survive and you can keep going. That's particularly important now, isn't it? Because, you know, you talk about, um, people talk about having uh, a, a huge customer base. Yeah. A customer is only a customer when they've bought something from you and the money is in your bank and not in their bank. Right. So that's how important cash is. You don't have that that. that individual or that organization as a customer until they've parted with their money and exchanged it and transferred it to you in return for whatever value you're offering them by way of goods or services. So that's important. And being agile, creative, and flexible, three words that roll off the tongue, but you've got to really get into them and understand what they mean. You know, agility, being able to change quickly, be adaptable, creativity, looking for new ideas, new solutions, being flexible. If one course of action doesn't work, then have a look at alternative courses of action. There's always more than one way to reach your goal. So that, so that becomes very important. And I, I would say as well, again, somebody said to me a long time ago, niche markets are great. I think what they meant was if you can find a niche, um, you normally do very well. Most businesses that are successful operate in niche markets because you get in early and you sort of grab grab the, the, the market share or somebody pulls out, leaves a niche that you can then go into. This is the great benefit of having a smaller business where large corporations can't adapt as quickly. Sometimes they pull out because the level of profit to cover their overhead structure isn't great enough. So that creates opportunities for smaller businesses to move into those sectors where, where there are such niches. Sure, interesting. Now, we're going to go on and talk a little bit more in the final section of the show about, about the work of the IOD and specifically what you get involved with uh, with universities, which I mentioned in, in the intro. And, and one thing that strikes me is that universities have, have gone from just being places of learning to, to becoming big businesses uh, in, in their own right. And uh, we've all been reading and this, this applies right across the globe, I think, not just in the UK. We've all been reading about the difficulties that universities are having. Um, now, you work with them uh, quite closely. So what, what's been your take on how they're managing through the crisis? I think if you go to the beginning of the pandemic, I think they proved that they can be very agile, despite being large organisations, because what they did was they very quickly moved most of the learning online. So they did that through Zoom or Microsoft Teams or a similar platform. That was great because it meant people could continue with their learning, they could complete their degrees, uh, they could uh, finish their courses, they could take exams and so on. So that that worked very quickly. Um, And then we came out of that first wave, didn't we, and things seemed to improve. And in the UK, we had um, several things happen around the same time back in August. There was the government scheme that was eat out to help out, which encourages us all to go out uh, and to take advantage of the hospitality businesses that were out there. Second thing that happened was the government said that um, young, young, young people would go back to school. And the third thing that happened was, and this happened increasingly as we went into September, um, students were advised to go back to university, to go back to campuses. 
So we had all that movement right, right across the UK, and I guess in other countries it was the same, with all these people coming together, using transport uh, to get about, um, and then going out and using the hospitality businesses that were there, taking advantage of the special offers. And before we know it, we start to see an increase in infections again. Sure. So where did that leave universities? Universities suddenly found they had large numbers of young people who had to be subjected to further lockdown. Um, their duty of care extended in some cases to having to even provide basic requirements like food and, and, and their well-being. And yet there were lots of stories at the time of universities not being able to do it. Stories about um, students being given a, a sort of pre-packaged uh, ready meal uh, that had to last them two days. Um, sure. So while they were, the, the universities were great at getting um, their, their core activity of learning uh, onto a, a, a digital or a virtual platform, some of the basic essentials of life seemed to be overlooked when it came to bringing all those students back to campuses. So there is a lesson in that. You know, if you take your eye off the ball, it's likely to go in a different direction. And that seems to be what's happened. Hopefully, you know, nobody suffered too much as a result of that. And um, we've learned a real lesson uh, from, from our approach to that. Sure. Well, that's a really interesting take on it. Ron. And the challenges facing the, the university sector, I think, are, are mirrored across many businesses because the, they themselves, the universities, have become uh, businesses. And, and uh, I wonder how many of them, going back to your really interesting point about risk management and about how if you go into a business, one of the first things you ask to look at is the risk register. I wonder how many of them would have had, uh, you mentioned the government survey back in 2017 when they assessed uh, the potential risks of a pandemic. I would have thought that there wouldn't have been many universities that would have had that very high on their risk register if, if it figured at all. So how they've coped since then has obviously been affected by that, I guess. Yeah, and it's an example of how circumstances change very rapidly because there was this move to get everybody back to some degree of normality, but there was very little focus on the possibility of a second wave. It was mentioned by some of these scientific and medical advisors, but nobody really took a lot of notice of it. I suppose we all became a bit complacent, which yeah. is, again, what businesses tend to do if they're not very careful. You lose Absolutely. focus and, and, and you become complacent. Absolutely, yeah. Interesting and, and tough times for, for, for them to, to cope. And uh, let's hope they, hope they do, because that's where the business leaders of the future are going to come from. And that, yeah. uh, just as we move to the commercial break, uh, that's what we're going to have a, a discussion about um, when we come back for the last part of the show, because uh, I'd like to talk to, uh, to Ron about um, his work at the Institute of Directors, about how that plays into uh, working with, with universities and, and um, and the aspiring leaders of the future who hopefully in just a few years' time, this will all just be a bad memory for them and they will have learnt by their experiences. So uh, I hope you can join us for the last part of the show uh, when we'll discuss all that with Ron. So uh, join us after the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realise your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. 
Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, and welcome back. It's John Jennings here, sitting in for, for Chris, who is on a well-deserved holiday, and I've been having a really interesting conversation with my guest, Ron Lynch, uh, about better leaders make better businesses, and, and around some of the challenges that we currently see. We're trying to keep this all current as well, to uh, not shy away from the fact that we are all working and living in very difficult times at the moment, no matter where we are in the globe. Uh, and some of, the, some of the subjects we've covered have uh, hopefully giving you some ideas because that's what this uh, what the show is all about. Um, don't forget, we love feedback, so do let either myself or Chris know what you think. You can hook up with us on LinkedIn. You can email us direct on chris at chriscooper.co.uk or john at chriscooper.co.uk, and, and we'd love to hear from you. So, Ron, um, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the Institute of Directors. And um, you've been a senior figure there, uh, and they are one of the UK's largest business groups for those listening globally and, might, and maybe wondering uh, what the Institute of Directors is all about. Can you tell us a little bit about the, with our, our, our theme in mind of developing uh, better business leaders, making for better businesses, tell us a little bit about the IOD and the work they help to do in this, in, in this particular area? Yes, thanks, John. Um, yeah, so the, the, the Institute of Directors is one of five leading business organisations in the UK uh, that the government and other bodies tend to uh, revert to if they want some intelligence regarding how business leaders are thinking and how they're performing. So along with the Institute of Directors, you've got the CBI, uh, Confederation of British Industry, you've got the Chambers of Commerce, you've got the Federation of Small Businesses, and you've got... Um, the uh, Make UK, which is the Engineering Employers Association. Uh, and they meet regularly with senior uh, leaders uh, in, in, in the government. So sure. uh, from the Prime Minister down to more junior ministers. So we're known as the B5, uh, the, 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 the Business Five or uh, the Group of Five. Right. So the, the Institute of Directors was founded way back in 1903 um, and was actually given a royal charter uh, in 1906. So We've been experienced in supporting business leaders through good times and bad times over the last 100 or so years. Um, we have 25,000 very connected members. And just to get a feel for you know, the sort of people that are members, 70% of them are leading uh, in small and medium-sized enterprises. Uh, around 15% of our members are under 30 years of age. 40% are aged 30 to 50. And I suppose what we see as our key role 
or roles are around helping to create better directors because we firmly believe that if you have better directors, you're going to have better businesses. Sure. If you have better businesses, you're going to have a better economy. And if you have a better economy, you can afford to have a better society, which is all about the ultimate impact that you could have as a business or as a director. So the, the, the way we look at this is we, we think there are three key things that help businesses develop and grow. One is to be connected. So I've mentioned this already, connecting to other business leaders, your peers, uh, other organizations, uh, connecting to one another, supporting yep. one another, learning from one another. Second stage is develop. And so it's about developing your skills as a director or a business leader. So because we have a Royal Charter and we're actually more formally known as the Chartered Institute of Directors, we can uh, award qualifications and we do have training programs and examinations. So we have a certificate in company direction, a diploma in company direction, and you can go all the way to become a Chartered Director. We're the only organisation in the UK uh, that can offer director-level qualifications. That's uh, a highly sought-after qualification as well, isn't it? It, it is, yes. So uh, that, that's what we're about, is that connect, that develop. And the third part of that is influence. Because, as I mentioned, we have connections to government and other key stakeholders and influencers themselves. We represent the views of company directors and senior leaders. So we are there to represent their views to government and to others. And there have been lots of examples of that. I mean, we, we were the, the organisation that pressed for a relaxation in the insolvency regulations as we went into lockdown because there were a lot of very uh, capable businesses that could have been construed as having been technically insolvent and under insolvency laws in the UK should have closed the business down. We managed to get the, the government to pull away from that and to allow a period of time for, for businesses to recover. And the same with support for self-employed people. We, again, have been at the forefront of pressing the government and the Chancellor of the Exchequer to ensure that there were proper uh, schemes to support businesses, either through their employees or through business support grants uh, that would help them to survive and, and hopefully prosper. Great. So connect, develop, influence. And with that in mind... You're now, you're, you're current role, you're, you're focused on, I guess, the aspiring leaders of the future. We've mentioned a little bit about the universities. And, and so through your work with the universities, what, what's the IOD trying to achieve, achieve with the next generation of business leaders and, and entrepreneurs? Well, what's interesting is um, the business leaders and the directors of tomorrow are actually in business schools now. Right. So where our focus traditionally has been on existing experienced directors or uh, people who've been already on that uh, senior, senior leadership journey. Our board has reflected back and realized that we have a responsibility to help to develop the directors and senior leaders of the future. And of course, they're in business schools now, as I, as I, as I said. So we have for the last five or six years been working with universities, around 30 to 40 of them at any one time, right. offering what we call a student-level membership of the Institute of Directors. This had never been done before. Uh, to actually qualify to be a member of the Institute of Directors, you had to actually be a director, surprise, surprise. What we've done is we've developed it to be able to offer a, a sort of scaled-down uh, level of membership, mainly a digital type of membership, uh, to encourage young people to aspire to those director level or senior leadership positions. 
So we've had student membership. You, you know, I think, because you've been involved in mentoring, John. We've called upon our members to get involved in mentoring. We've been generally overwhelmed with the response from our members who wanted to get involved in mentoring young and aspiring directors. So we've run things like the £10 challenge with some universities, which uh, pairs uh, a, a, an experienced uh, um, director with a group of around five young people in a business school, and they can bid to have a small sum of money, £10 basically, and then to do something enterprising with that to grow it into a larger amount. So at one university, I know that over the last five years, those young people have generated revenue of uh, 50 to 60,000 pounds. And then so that they understand that it's not just about business and profit, that it's about impact and impact on society and others that can benefit from your skills and experience. They then choose which charity they should donate that money to. So in one case, it's been to an organization called the John Van Geest Cancer Research Center. So that organization works very closely with that cohort of students so that they understand the challenges that that organization faces. And hopefully, hopefully they, they remain committed to supporting it. In others, it's, it's homeless charities. It's a whole range of things. But it's great to get the young people working with the support of an experienced director or business leader to do something challenging and then to see the impact you can have on an organization that is totally removed from what you're actually doing yourself well that's a that's a fantastic example ron and i can say to all experienced directors and, and leaders of businesses who are hopefully listening out there or who may well listen to this show uh, on a download uh, after the event get involved if you get the opportunity to do this because it's hugely rewarding on both sides there's nothing not to like. You get to, to mix with a completely different generation of, uh, of folks who can give you ideas and you're there to help and guide them. And the, the output is, uh, and, and as you mentioned there, Ron, uh, I've, be, I've got myself involved with the John Van Geest Cancer Research Centre here in Nottingham, raising funds and raising awareness of the amazing work that's done there. So there's, there's really nothing not to like. So that, that, that's brilliant. I, I mean, what would you say now to, what advice would you have for, Students, you mentioned about the uh, students in the business schools. Now uh, they're on a tough old time of it, as we talked about in the previous uh, in the previous part of the show. What advice would you have for them just starting out on their learning journey in a in a business school? I think first of all, I'd I'd say look, th this is the start of your career and your business journey. You might not have a job yet, but what you do now will have an impact on the sort of job you might have in the future. So recognise that you, you're at the very start, but you're on a journey. It's not a destination. Getting your degree is not the destination. The destination is how are you going to survive a lifetime of, of, of a career or, or a business or an organization. So you're at the start of the journey, continue along that journey, but recognize that you are actually on a journey. You won't reach your destination immediately. It'll be further down the line. And there are lots of things that can arise, opportunities, threats, whatever they happen to be, that have to be addressed. But if you don't recognize that at the outset, then you may end up, as some businesses have ended up during this pandemic, unprepared. Second thing I'd say is retain an open and questioning mindset. We, we've actually put together a sort of framework uh, for director competency. And there are 74 elements in that, but they're grouped into three areas, uh, knowledge, uh, skills, and mindset. So if you retain a questioning mindset, 
you're going to absorb far more, far more and you're going to challenge assumptions. When you challenge assumptions, you normally arrive at better decision-making. So sure. retain that questioning mindset. Most of the young people I come across in business schools now have that now. In fact, they're extremely talented. And I get that feedback from our members that interact with them through mentoring programs and so on. The other thing is that you're actually at business school or university to learn. Uh, uh, and that can become very serious. So I think it's important that you enjoy it. You learn far more if you try to enjoy it. You learn more if you do something you enjoy doing. And don't hurry to specialise. You know, there's always this great rush. I said at the beginning of this that my uh, dad wanted me to go into accountancy. Uh, apart from the first three years of my career, I haven't touched accountancy. Right. Uh, but don't hurry to, to specialise. There's a whole world of learning and opportunities out there. Don't miss them. Recognize the importance of lifelong learning. That's also a journey. And one of the most valuable things to me, and I know it is to others, is to begin now to build your personal and professional network because that can support you all the way along this journey. It'll change and it'll adapt and there'll be new people that join it. But that becomes very important to you as you progress along your career or, or business path. Really interesting. Ron, time is, uh, time is catching up on us. Uh, not long to go till, till we have to, to wrap up. Um, some fantastic advice you've given, and I'm really glad that we're kind of finishing off talking about uh, helping the young leaders of the, of the future, who certainly the ones entering business school now, as we said, are having a, a tough time. Have you got a, a kind of final message that you'd like to, uh, to, to leave, leave us with? I suppose I would say that what I found is the world out there is full of very talented people. I've been fortunate in being able to recruit relatively young people with very little experience, but they've had enormous talent. And the challenge has been to harness that talent. But there's a world full of them out there, as there is a world full of very successful organizations. My advice would be find some of them, engage with some of them, celebrate some of them, but above all, try to learn from them. And as you do all of that, of course, we couldn't finish without saying it's also important to keep safe in these very challenging times. That's a great way to, uh, to, to finish on. Fantastic. Great advice. I hope people have really uh, bought into what you've been saying and will take away some thoughts. I've made a lot of notes here while we've been talking. Uh, that I can use, particularly when I'm talking to, uh, as, as you and I both do, our, our double act together with the, uh, the students at Nottingham Trent University, just locally here. Um, and if you'd like to find out more about the Institute of Directors or to connect with Ron, go to iod.com. Uh, you'll find Ron, of course, on, on LinkedIn. Um, so he would be delighted to, uh, to accept uh, an invite and any feedback on what we've been talking about. And next week, you'll be very relieved to hear that Chris will be back from his castle in Scotland, his guest, will be a lady called Michelle Ibs. And what Chris and Michelle will be talking about next week uh, will be elevating your business with the use of virtual assistants. So there you go. Michelle is a leader in that particular field, a master networker. In fact, she's known as the networking queen. So I really hope that you get a chance to, uh, to tune in next week. Um, and it only remains for me to, uh, to echo what Ron said. Thank you very much for listening. Ron, it's been a pleasure. So same for me, John. And uh, everybody out there, stay safe and um, tune in next week. 
thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.